Well, hello, everybody. It's good to see you all. It's good to be in church with you. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Johnny. I serve as one of the pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. It is a joy to be with you uh, today. It is a joy to be in worship with you. It is a pleasure to be here and share with you tonight uh, the first sermon in our new series. Uh, like any good substitute teacher, I am a substitute preacher, and we're just going to watch a movie today. So... Just kidding. Now I got your hopes all up, and so sorry about that. Uh, anyways, if you have your Bible today, you're like, Bible? I thought we were watching a movie. Bible, uh, if you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible with you, we uh, have blue Bibles in all of our worship spaces uh, for you to use today. And uh, if you're looking for Romans 1 there, it is going to be on page 1744. Bam, this is like magic. I like this thing. Now, over the summer, many of you have been following along with us as we have read through the book of Acts. And if you have noticed, or if you haven't been reading along, but you know anything about the book of Acts, uh, what we find there is uh, some of the history, some of the, uh, the events that lead up to what we call the church. It's the history of the early church. But what we also find there is how that church was formed. The, the values and, and the identity that's formed within men and women uh, that called Jesus Christ Lord. How that was formed in them and how they banded together and formed this thing that we call the church. Now today, when we say that word church, when we hear the word church, we tend to think of a place or, or maybe a program or, or an event Right? You, you might have caught yourself saying, like I do all the time, like, hey, are you going to church this weekend? And you say, yes, I'm going to church. Are you going to church? And you go to church together. Or you say, I'm heading up to the church now, right? It's a place or it's an event. It's a thing we go to. But while we tend to think of church as a place, what Acts reminds us of is that the church began as a people, It began as a people. There weren't buildings that were called churches. It was communities of people banded together, living out their faith in the world. So as we close in on the end of summer and the end of our reading together through Acts, what we want to do in this series is look at some of the stories of these men and women, how they were shaped, how they're formed, and how their lives gave birth to this thing that we call church and how their stories continue to shape who we are today. Because like them, we have the same ex uh, distinct, not extinct, distinct identity. Oh man, is that Freudian or what? Distinct identity. Our life together is meant to embody the values of God's kingdom. So we want to do a series like this to remind ourselves that we are a people that God has given a specific purpose to. And we also want to look at how this church, in our day, in our time, in our place here, seeks to live out that same sacred purpose. So that we might be able to confidently say, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is what we do. This is us. So that's where we got the title for this series. It has nothing to do with a TV show. I've never even heard a TV show like that. So if there's anything that's remotely familiar about that, it's totally coincidental. Now this week, 
the way I want to kick off this series is I want to examine what I think might be the most essential characteristic, the most essential value that's part of the identity of the church, of who we are, and a key to a stronger faith and sustained growth of our faith. Now, one of the most mysterious and amazing things that I notice as I read through Acts is how these people, these men and women of faith, like they started this thing called a church. I mean, it was a tiny little offshoot of the Jewish faith, right? And then it not only survived against all odds, against oppression and against, uh, against opposition, it didn't just survive, it thrived. There in the heart of the Roman Empire, at the height of its power, we find these people that are, are so small and, and, and so outnumbered, and yet they have this courage, this strength about them that allows them to persevere beyond that. They get past all the obstacles and the hurdles. They, they, they persevere in the face of danger and, and failure and persecution. Let's take Paul, for instance, right? He's a pretty popular guy. If you've been reading through Acts, you know about him. If you've been to church at any point in time, you've probably heard about Paul. He's a pretty popular guy. He's maybe, maybe the most important non-Jesus character in the New Testament. He's, uh, his writings make up the most uh, of our New Testament. And he was there in Acts. We read about him, his journeys throughout the Roman Empire. As he goes from place to place, starting churches, encouraging churches, teaching churches. He wrote letters to these churches. That's what we have here in our Bible today. And as Paul journeyed through those places, Paul was met with all kinds of opposition. He, he would go and, and teach and, and have dialogue in, in the synagogues there, and he would get uh, run out of there. People would be mad, and they would scream at him. Angry mobs would be formed, and they would attack him and, and chase him out of town. He was beaten. He was jailed. He was shipwrecked. And eventually, eventually he was martyred because of his faith and because of his falling. And yet, through all of that, he remained undeterred and committed to his calling. Now, I want to know what his secret is. Like, how does somebody have that kind of strength and perseverance? How does somebody like Paul or any of these men and women that had suffered and experienced a lot of the same things that Paul did, where does that sort of strength come from? Because that's what we all want, right? not to be shipwrecked or martyred or anything. We don't want that. What we want is a faith that is strong, a faith that is able to persevere in the midst of life's hardest trials. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it is hard enough for me in the midst of everyday life to have a strong faith, to remember God and to live into my sacred identity, let alone when life gets hard. When life is tough, it's, it's one thing to sing songs of God's greatness and goodness. It's one, one thing to sing songs like, I'm no longer a slave of uh, fear because I'm a child of God. It's one thing to sing those things and to believe those things when we come to this place. And it's a wholly other thing once we leave these walls and we experience something that we are really afraid of. We know it's true, we just don't know how it's true. Where does that strength come from that will allow us to stand up in those times and claim the truth and live that truth? For that, we wanna turn our attention to Paul's letter in the church 
uh, to the church in Rome. Chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 7. Now, the fact that there's even a church in Rome in the first place is a big deal. Uh, Paul writes to them, if you have your Bible open, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Why? Because it's a church in Rome. How are there Christians in Rome? Right? They're already facing a lot of oppression, right? And if you've read through Acts, you've seen Paul's journeys throughout the empire and you've heard that in Rome that that Christians were being kicked out of there by Emperor Claudius. Jews and Jewish Christians alike were being kicked out because to him they were causing a disruption. But even after they were let back in and at the time of Paul's writing, we have Emperor Nero who's there, who's burning Christians faster than he can line them up. How are Christians there? The fact that there are, it's spreading all over the world. He goes on, God whom I serve in my spirit and in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness to how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, that, we may be, uh, that a way may be opened for me to come to you. Paul's constantly writing letters to these churches, but he longs for nothing more than to be with them there. Verse 11, I long to see you, see, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Turns out that Paul's secret is not so secret. Paul's traveling throughout the empire. He fires off this letter to the church in Rome. And he says to them, essentially, I want you to be strong. I'm coming to you so that we can make each other strong through the mutual encouragement that comes from sharing each other's faith. Paul essentially says that there is great power in community. That the reason that you're still here is because you're not alone. That you have each other. Paul says to them, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. What do you mean by strong, Paul? This is what I mean. That you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. It's Paul's hope that a people who have their faith tested on a daily basis would find their strength through the mutual encouragement that comes from sharing life with one another and sharing faith with one another. Paul's absolutely convinced that nobody makes it on their own, especially not then. Nobody makes it on on their own. And he's trying to let the Christians in Rome know that when you hear somebody else's faith story, when you share faith with somebody, when you are encouraged by mutually sharing each other's faith, when you share your faith story with somebody, it strengthens them. When someone shares how faith in Jesus has impacted their life with you, it has an impact on you. When you share how faith has changed your life, it can change the life of others. This is what Paul believes. This was a core value and practice of Paul's. It was a key, it was very important. It was critical to the life of the early church as it grew. 
And it's important to us as well because like Paul, we are convinced that it is shared lives that lead to changed lives. It doesn't happen in isolation. It happens when we are together. This is why over and over and over again, you will hear me, you will hear Pastor David, you will hear this church talk about the importance and the necessity of groups and being connected in these Christ-centered communities where you do get to share life and where your life can be transformed. That's why we invest an incredible amount of time and resources in things like Sunday school and small groups and Bible studies. It's why virtually every day of the week you can come up here to this campus and there are people meeting together, praying with one another, sharing life together, people that now know each other's names. They know each other's kids' names. They know each other's dogs' names. And they're meeting together, sharing life and sharing faith together so that they might be mutually encouraged. Because we're convinced, we're convinced that you cannot grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally in Christ-centered community. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. And I don't want to shortchange other parts of our life together and other parts of our faith. I don't mean to say that you can't have powerful experiences of God's love and God's presence in solitude. You absolutely can. I've had them. I, I, I've, I, I've had those experiences where I'm all alone, whether it's reading scripture or it's in prayer. or I've been outside. I'm looking at the stars and I have this sense that God is near and it has been profound. But these pivotal moments that I look at in my life, these profound and pivotal moments are often only seen as such in hindsight. You get me? Like you, you look back and you say, that was a pivotal moment in my life. It was a spark. It was a, it was a catalyst. Something lit up in me, something awakened in me. But if we are not connected in a community that will nurture that spark, it'll fizzle out with the wind. It'll fizzle out. It won't, it won't stay lit. It won't grow into what it's meant to be. If you've been to church camp, you know. I've been to church camp a bunch of times. I, had lo I loved camp and I had big, amazing experiences. I've been to conferences. I've been to events where like, the energy was high and I had this great moment where I felt God's presence and I felt this sense in me that my life was going to be different from now on. But a week after that, it looked exactly the same as it did before. Because in those moments prior to that, I wasn't connected to a, a community that nurtured that thing in me. It helped that thing grow. But when we do, it can. Because we need one another. We need one another. Let's look back at this little piece of scripture uh, again where Paul is. Uh, oops, is that too far? Nope, that's not. Let's go back. There you go. That you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith each other's faith. This is such an important part. This little, these little two words here, each other right here, uh, is actually one word in Greek, and it is all alone. Can you get that? It really does sound like the opposite of what it actually means. It's probably better pronounced like alelone, which sounds really cool and maybe Hawaiian a little bit. But this Greek word here, alelone, is used right here to mean uh, each other. It's often translated as one another. And this little Greek word here is scattered throughout the New Testament. 
It's used 100 times in the New Testament. If you were to do a search for this uh, in Greek through your Greek Bible that you all have, you would find it 100 times listed throughout the New Testament. 100 times. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. But by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ and individually we belong to one another. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to be a stumbling block or an obstacle. Over and over again, we see uh, the scriptures speaking to this idea of this one anothering one another, where you are connected to people, an active relationship with other people, that your faith needs that. Any guesses as to who's responsible for the majority of the one another's in scripture? I know you're thinking Jesus, and that's kind of a trick question. You'd be wrong, but I would guess Jesus too. That was kind of mean of me to, to set you up that way. It's actually Paul. 60 of the 100 alelones in scripture come from Paul. His letters that he writes to these, in church, to these churches encouraging them. Encouraging them and supporting them and showing them how we live out our faith and how our faith becomes strong is instructing these churches. And he says that you cannot grow, you cannot live out your faith apart from one another. It was the primary activity of the church to one another, each other. But if you're by yourself, you can't one another one another if you're just one and not Another. I had to practice that a lot. Here's a better quote. In a sermon series we did several years ago called Campfire, Pastor David said that God created us for relationships and relationships are the primary context where our lives are transformed and where we grow. So the greatest potential for personal and spiritual growth is in community. That's where we find our greatest potential for growth. There's such power in community when people of faith gather together to encourage each other by their faith. It's an essential aspect of our faith. It's an essential value and characteristic of who we are. It's not an add-on. It's not extra. It's not some extra credit thing that you do when you feel like it. It is essential to our growth, our spiritual growth. We need one another. You need me, I need you. The people sitting around you need you. They need your story. They need to hear what it means to be faithful to you. They need to hear about your struggles and the things that you had to walk through in life and that you came out the other side. They need to hear that because they might be going through the exact same thing. We need to share more than an experience. We have to share life because shared lives lead to change life. Now, when we share life together, what we are sharing is this lifelong journey of following Christ. It's a, lo- it's a long road and Christ is leading us, is walking us and we're following Christ. We're walking down this road. And when we talk about sharing life with one another, we're talking about sharing that road, sharing that journey pointing out the potholes, talking about the time we sprained our ankle on our way. That is sharing life with one another. 
Which is why another one of our core beliefs is that everybody has a next step. You're like, oh crud, a second core value? Are we going through a whole nother sermon? No, we're not getting two sermons today. But everybody has a next step. Nobody is a, a complete picture yet. Nobody is a finished product. We all have room to grow. We all have a next step on our faith journey. So I want to offer up for everyone here a potential next step for you. For many of you, that is getting connected in Christ-centered community. I want you to join a group. Ah, darn it, I knew he was going to ask that. You know, Lauren pointed out the card and the thing, and you knew I was going to ask you that, and you just don't want to do it, and I know you don't want to do it. But I want you to do it. I want you to join a group. I want you to get connected there because I know how formative it is to be a part of a group where people can share life with one another. If you're not currently connected in one, I want to help you take that next step. And I know for some of you in here, you've been from the second this sermon started, starting to mull over those, those reasons in your mind why you're not going to or why you don't want to or why you think you can't join a group. And I want you to know I understand those. I've thought them. I've felt them. Sometimes I still wrestle with them. You might be saying to yourself that, I don't really understand why I need to be in community. I, don't, I, I come to church. I'm here. Why do I need something else? Right? I come here and I sing songs and I, and I, and I listen to, to people preach. And, and why do I need anything other than that? I would say that the reason that when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was and he said love God and love others, it's a two-part answer, right? Because you can't have one apart from the other. We come here to sing our praises, to shower our affection and adoration on God. We come to love God, but that can't be all. We also go out and love one another. We form in communities to mutually encourage one another. If we don't have that second part, if we don't have that second part, we're missing out. We're missing out on some of the work that God wants to do in our life. Well, some of you might say that I'm a little apprehensive because the last time I joined a group, I, I had a bad experience. I didn't really like those people. They, they weren't that awesome. I, 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 didn't, I had a bad experience, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like it's for me. Well, my guess is you've probably had a bad meal too but you didn't stop eating. You've had a bad haircut, you go back and get haircuts, most of you. Just because you had a bad experience once doesn't mean that we don't go back to that thing again. Well, no, my bad experience was more than just like, I didn't like people. I got hurt. I understand that too. I understand that too, lives are messy. Lives are messy, and when everybody brings their mess to the table, sometimes we make a mess. I know that relationships can be the source of great hurt. The relational wounds that are inflicted upon us are often the deepest ones. And though relationships are places where we might get hurt, it is in relationships where we also find healing. It's where we find healing again. 
And so I want to encourage you to try again. If that's you, we would love to hear from you. Me, our group life staff and volunteers would love to hear your story and help you get back into a healing relationship, a healing community. All right, I hear you, Pastor, but I, I, I get everything you're saying, but I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm so busy. School's about to start. Work schedules are nuts. I, you will not believe how busy I am. I can't afford to add another thing in my life. I can believe how busy you are. We're all busy nowadays. We, none of us have any time. But the truth of the matter is we do find time for the things that are important in our life. We find time for the things that are important. This isn't just important, this is essential. We have to have this. We have to have this. If we don't make time in our life for the things that are essential, if we don't make time to sleep, if we don't make time to eat, our bodies grow weak and eventually they give out. We have to make time for those things that are essential so that we might be filled up and healthy and strong again. And I get it, we live in a culture today that values overworking. I don't think we even value hard work anymore. It's overwork. We want to take our schedules and our to-do lists and our exhaustion and we want to wear it on our sleeve like a merit badge and say, see, look how good I'm doing. Look how great I am. Our, our, our schedules are full, but then our spirits are running on empty and eventually we give out. Committing to things in our life that are the most important and healthy is often not about adding things to our life, but it's about subtracting. It's about taking a hard look at the things that we invest ourselves in. And though every one of those things on that list might be considered good things, we have to ask, am I sacrificing what is great in my life for all of this good? Am I missing out on the greatness that God has for me, that God wants to pour into me? Okay, you've convinced me, Pastor. I want to be in a small group. Give me, give me a small group. Give me a Sunday school class. Give me a Bible study. How do we do this? How do I get connected, right? I'm going to try it out. How do I get connected to one of those? Well, I'm glad you asked because there are those cards. Some of you have filled them out already and put them in the offering plate. Some of you still have them because you're like, I ain't filling this thing out, but now you are. I want you to fill that out. At the end of the service, when we're done after communion, you can drop it, we'll have baskets at the exits, you can drop it right in there. If you don't see a basket, you can just take it to a connecting point and drop it right off over there as well. When you fill that out, what we're going to do, our, our, our staff and volunteers that are so pumped about group life and so pumped about you joining one are going to reach out to you, get in contact with you, and help you get connected. Because we want nothing more than every single person in this church to be connected in one of those, one of those, one of those communities where we are sharing life and faith and we are being changed our dream is that this is a church of groups, not a church with groups. It's not an add-on. It's just what we do. It's just who we are. This is us. People willing to bring our mess and, and, and share it with others. People that though they may not be convinced that they need this themselves, they know that somebody else needs them.
They need their story and their wisdom. And so we do it. We gather together to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, so that we might walk together this road of life as we follow Christ. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you so much for this evening and this time of worship as we come to sing your praise. God, of your goodness, your mercy, and your hope. God, we carry that hope with us as we go out into the world. But often, God, we run up against things that make us lose that hope, God, that want to diminish that, God, things that challenge us, things that frighten us. God, things that chop at the root of our lives, the unity that we find in you. So we pray now, God, as those of us who have found community here in the church, as those of us that are sharing life actively in, in a community grounded in you and your truth, God, we just pray that we are always open to those that might be looking for the same, that we might have a seat available for those so that they might partake in that which has been so transformative for us. And God, for those of us that have been a little hesitant, for whatever reason, God, we just, we just pray that you break those walls down, remove the barriers and the obstacles in our mind and in our hearts, God, that would keep us from joining in that. Because we know, God, that as we get to know you more and your love and grace, that that knowledge can only grow into its fullness when we're with others. We thank you, God, for the relationship in which you share with us, your presence with us. We want nothing more than to share that presence with others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.